down the second. Here comes a blitz, and a right side throw is going to be intercepted. A one-handed grab. Jalen Watson goes up and snatches it out of the sky with a one-handed interception on an attempted wheel route. Jones takes it. He looks. He fires. It's intercepted. It's picked off. It's James Bradbury, the former Giant, and the Eagles are in Giants territory again. They trapped him. What a great call. Allen back to throw. Scrambling right. Moves back toward the middle of the field. Gesturing toward the end zone. Throws toward the end zone. Nice. It is batted away. Knocked away by Eli Apple. A pass intended for Gabe Davis. And the Bengals have the ball. Zach with Pollard to one, or Zeke to one side, Schultz to the other. Gonna throw out left, intercepted! Diamador Lenore! Dak Prescott play. just threw him the ball. Here's Prescott back, has time, throws out left, intercepted! Ball got tipped up and taken by Fred Warner! Jimmy Ward tipped the ball, and Fred Warner with the INT! Pick City, baby! Pick City, Pick City, baby. Nice intro there, Jared. Eli Apple. <laughs> that was the answer. He was the answer. Had him here, didn't we? Uh, no, they Eli uh, Apple where? What? They had no, they tried to get Eli tried Apple. Tried to get Eli and Apple. And they couldn't right. get Eli oh. Apple to the Raiders. That's right. That's right. He he, he would have been sign, the answer. And then they, they signed him and cut him. Yeah. He, he was actually yeah. signed here and then, yeah. you know, Mike Mayock and John Gruden said no thanks. <laughs> he would have been the answer. I answered all their problems defensively. Yeah, Eli Apple. Hello, how are you guys? What's going on, buddy? How are oh, you? I'm, I'm sitting in Reno. Ooh. Ooh, okay. Oh, oh no, right. they, yeah, they like you better in Reno than they do here. Apparently. Okay. There's there's snow on the ground. There's oh, been yeah. snow on the ground the entire time. This is a nightmare. It's freezing outside. I was uh, I did the uh, Utah trip uh, this weekend, and a uh, little snow, but not as much as you're probably experiencing. Ah, both of us going to cold places yeah, over the exactly. weekend. Not, yeah. not great. No, take me back to the desert where it's, you know, nice what, and warm in the winter. What's happening now with, uh, this is this was kind of a hotel, but not kind of a hotel, more of an Airbnb. What's happening with people who rent out their places and want to have the most confusing, uh, <laughs> lit- literally confusing televisions uh, instead of non-cable than I've ever seen in my life? I couldn't find... I couldn't find uh, Philly's Giants to save my life, and there and there must have been seven hundred channels. There was YouTube TV, there was Apple TV, there was Netflix, there was um, uh, Hulu, there was Prime, and the best I got was uh, Beverly Hills nine hundred two one zero. We Jared, we might not be talking about the NFL today. Um, Ed, first off, the question I have for you is: What do you mean it was kind of a hotel, but more like an Airbnb? It was like a condo. Yes. Okay. That's a okay. great. That's a great way to put it. So, but so it was an Airbnb. It just wasn't a house. Well, no, because there were like fourteen of them. Yeah. So a, somebody bought a condominium and then d- subdivided it into four different living spaces. Yeah, there were there were a lot of them. Um, okay. We had a great view. In fact, the <laughs> in fact the wireless name was Big View. Uh, so the wireless was perfect, but the TV. I just and I've had that in the past. So you do Airbnbs. Where like just get just get me basic cable, just get me a little direct TV. They can't pay for that. Get, get me a basic cable instead of these crazy televisions they're, they're with so many you, channels. You're getting an Apple TV or a Roku, and you just gotta find, hopefully, find the app that you can watch the sporting event on. That's all. That's all you got, Ed. It's way There's not gonna too be cable complicated. Way too complicated. We, Cable's we too were, expensive. 
We were on Netflix. <laughs> Netflix and Hulu. Whole TV shows. That's all we could see. It was, it was just depressing. There was a CBS Sports uh, channel that gave stat updates from the Kansas City. Oh my God! You're watching the game cast of yes. NFL games. Oh and, my God! And then and then uh, we were watching um, all the betting channels. They all came through fine. Of course, I yeah. knew what everyone was you know taking on the spreads. And, and the this props. was in Utah. This was in Utah. Okay. This was in Utah. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. What, I didn't know what to do with it. It was uh, depressing. Got home yesterday for the games. The first bite. Is pa- is one-legged Patrick Mahomes the best quarterback in the NFL? I I can speak to this because I watched the game. Uh, <laughs> Did we one-legged Pat Mahomes? Hey, bouncing around on one leg yeah. for the entire game. Here, here's the real problem. The Jags blew it. The, the Jags got Patrick Mahomes. A, he was out of the game, and they let Chad Henney go on a 98-yard touchdown drive. And then Mahomes comes back in for the second half, but he's, like, limping around, jumping around. Like, th- they blew it. The Jags, that's that's how you beat the Chiefs, is Patrick Mahomes gets hurt, and the Jags blew it. So if Mahomes is going to jump around and they're going to get a touchdown drive out of Chad Henney, uh, yeah, the Chiefs are, are somehow immune to a Patrick Mahomes injury, which it should be the number one thing to take him down. Well, what if the Jacksonville Jaguars had a better defense? That'd be helpful, but it's still, I mean, that's how you be like, you know, like when we talk about the future of the Raiders and how sort of their outlook is while Patrick Mahomes is still in the division and Justin the, Herbert, the best option for the Raiders to do anything, to win anything is a season where Mahomes gets hurt. Right. And obviously, you know, Mahomes misses games. But if you're telling me that Mahomes can hop around on a high ankle sprain and still beat the Jacksonville Jags, how the hell are the Raiders ever going to yeah. beat the Chiefs? Like, even if they, even if he gets hurt against the Raiders, are they still going to lose that game? Like, that the Jags blew it. That's that's the exact scenario you need to pull off that upset, and they still couldn't do it. And here's the thing: Kansas City. I mean, it's not like they had a bad game, but they only scored 27 points right. that you absolutely could have beaten them. If you can get to 30 points and they just they couldn't do it against Kansas City and they basically blew their opportunity that was uh, nicely presented to them in Patrick Mahomes' ankle sprain. What it reminded me of was the Bears-Packers game, like Khalil Mack's debut with the Bears where he goes ballistic in the first half, injures Aaron Rodgers, and then in the second half Aaron Rodgers is just sort of stood up in the, in the backfield. <laughs> and he's just like, all right, I'm just going to throw it. Yeah, I'm just going to throw up. it. I'm, I'm not going to move, but I, I'll throw it. So uh, here's looking forward, and I guess we're not really going to know how healthy Mahomes is, but he came back into that game. What, what should our expectations be of Kansas City if Patrick Mahomes is not 100%, which I'm, I'm guessing he's not going to be in a week's time? Well, they're playing a much better team, I think, uh, this time around. But, I mean, I'm not going to – after the other day, can you put anything past him? Not I mean, really. I don't think you can really put anything past them. That you know, I'm not. I don't know if they can score thirty with him, but they're at home. Uh, don't know what the weather's going to be like. Although Cincinnati yesterday kind of put that to the side, and it didn't matter with them yesterday. Um, I I don't know if you can put anything past this guy if he, if he's playing on one leg. Now, that was a lot of adrenaline. Um, taped it up. I'm sure they shot him up. Uh, they don't like to talk about that, but uh, let's see how he responds during the week because this is going to be the interesting part of how he responds. There was uh, 
Um, Greg Olson last night was talking on TV, and obviously he's had injuries. He thinks he'll be, you know, limited until Wednesday or Thursday, maybe on crutches just to keep the weight off it. And he's, yeah. a, he's a special, special player. There's no question about that. But let's see how the ankle responds because the adrenaline the other day probably played a big part in it. Now it's calmed down. We'll see how bad the sprain is. I'm guessing uh, when the Chiefs play the Bengals, Patrick Mahomes will not be able to feel his ankle or foot no. because of how many shots he yes, gets between exactly. now and then. Yes. He is just going to have no feeling. It's going to be just like, like a block of ice. Right. All right, Pat, you don't need to feel that. Just uh, don't hurt it anymore to where you can't walk. The interesting part to me, though, is Kansas City only threw for 218 yards in that game. And Mahomes, he missed that whole drive where Henny took him down the field. The run game took him down the field. But Mahomes only threw for 198. Kelsey had 98 receiving yards, but it took him 14 catches. Like, Jacksonville didn't give up the big plays in that game. And Cincinnati has a better defense than Jacksonville. Mahomes not at 100%. I, I think there was enough in that game from Jacksonville to make you think, oh, Cincinnati absolutely mm -hmm. can go into Kansas mm -hmm. City and win this game. If if Mahomes mm -hmm. is is at all limping around and whatever it is, like it's absolutely a scenario where the Cincinnati Bengals have a legitimate shot, a really good chance to be mm -hmm. back in the Super Bowl for the second straight year. Yeah. I mean, factor in the fact that Mahomes, well, not Mahomes, the Chiefs have never beaten Joe Burrow. Like when three, Joe Burrow. Right? Three. Yeah. Three it, games. It's every time Joe Burrow is the starter for the Bengals, Chiefs are just like, yeah, we got no idea. Every time Joe Burrow's he's, been healthy, they've been really good. He's got a paper mache offensive line, but the ball is out. Yeah. And Chase is running 30 yards right. down the field. Jared, to, to make you feel better, I did see somebody tweet this morning that while, yes, the, the Bengals have beaten the Chiefs three straight times, the Chiefs have had a 75% win probability in the fourth quarter of all three of those games. So it's not a matter of, oh, they can't do anything against Burrow. They've just lost close games at the end. Right, but I'm an irrational fan. So you I'm aware. I'm okay. aware. I'm, and I'm trying to bring you back, get you back to rationality, and you'll, be, you'll feel a little better. Here's another question for you from the weekend. How much criticism does Josh Allen deserve right now? He looked bad. Yeah, he did. Um, I mean, you have it at home. Uh, I know the weather was bad, but you're but Buffalo. You're, but you're Buffalo. Yeah, you're building a you're building a new stadium without a roof. The genius is out there, which is just absolutely. <laughs> they got to change that, right? Yeah, they have I to mean, immediately be changing. The, they just scored ten points. Do they at just home think the like, snow? oh, if it's snowing, no one will come in here and win because we know how to play in the snow? Well, someone just did, and someone has right. done it the best. I think he deserves criticism. I think he deserves criticism. Here's, here's I think, the interesting part about Josh Allen is we have basically put him in the top tier of quarterbacks in the NFL. Yes, He's had absolutely. phenomenal seasons, all of that. But we basically put him in that top tier and said, oh, this guy is one of the, you know, whatever your own rankings are, two, three, fourth best quarterback in the NFL. But they've made it to they made it to the AFC title game 3 years ago but you know you lose this game to Cincinnati like i guess the question is like has Josh Allen should we be critical of his playoff losses when not all of them are his fault right you lose right. to Kansas City last year in overtime because you don't touch the ball but i i guess it's should we still consider him in that top tier or are we looking at more of a l buffalo might not actually be able to do this over the next 4 or 5 years because he's not as good as 
Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, and maybe there's other quarterbacks that are better than him in the AFC. Uh, and maybe it's a problem for Buffalo that Josh Allen isn't good enough, which is a wild thing to say, given that he's been considered a top three or four quarterback for a while now. Well, I'm not going to tell you I know the stats on every one of those games he lost. Um, I know they did get to the AFC Championship. It's all subjective, you know. Every Everyone says if you don't win a championship, you should be put in a certain, um, certain box. I'm not so sure I believe that because you could play really, really well and still lose a game. Uh, but I think for this specific game, he deserves some he deserves some criticisms for how he played. I we have you know, and we're going to talk about this later in the show, hopefully, in terms of where Burrow ranks. But I would still have Josh Allen as a top tier quarterback, and if we're talking top five or six quarterbacks in the league, yeah, and, and he should be. And if you were you know drafting quarterbacks to start a new franchise, he's going to be in that top five range but I, I guess my main question on Buffalo is as we've talked about so much with if you're the Raiders right now and you're looking up at the AFC and you see all of these teams with good young quarterbacks is Buffalo a team that is looking up saying wow are we ever going to be as good as Mahomes in Kansas City are we going to be as good as Burrow in Cincinnati they might be in a similar situation where they're looking up with well we think we have our quarterback but we're not as good or he's not as good as the top two or maybe three guys in this conference which is you know sort of the issue i will say this on josh allen this year because you can throw in the other game he was not good against miami and oh, they're yeah. not good against no, Cincinnati. i mean that's that's two bad playoff performance he was very good in both games last year he torched new england and then was good against he just Kansas needed the City. ball last last year yeah they just lost so i think and but the other losses like they lost to houston his rookie year i don't think he was very good the first time they got eliminated by kansas city i don't think he was very good so He's had a lot of bad playoff performances that lead to losses. Are you is Burrow the second best quarterback in the league? You know what? Here's the thing, and I see some of the uh, quarterbacks you have down here. If you're, I, I go like this: Who would you rather have for the next ten years? Because there's quarterbacks listed here. I'd rather have for the next ten years. Lamar Jackson. I might not. I might even want Justin Herbert for the next ten years. But I'll tell you this: the the guys when he's healthy, he's been money in the playoffs. Um, he hasn't always been healthy. So I'm not going to say he's the second-best quarterback in the NFL because I'd rather have some of those other guys. But you got to give the guy a lot of credit, man. He get, you got to give him a lot of credit for what he's done the last two years when he's completely healthy. He's, All right, coming. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Joe. I was just going to say he's so calm. He always looks he's like cool, he's – cool, man. Yeah, like he's, he's just, cool. just like literally like, yeah, that's fine. We're, yeah. we're about to go score. It's cool. Coming up next on ESPN Las Vegas, UNLV basketball found another way to have a disappointing <laughs> part of the season. Alorado tried to get it to Nance. Couldn't do it. Bam has it. Going the other way. Got it to Tyler. Stepping into a three. Splashing it down for everybody. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Well, I can tell you who wasn't splashing it down, and that was UNLV against Fresno State on Saturday. Uh, Ed, you and Bulldogs lost were doing some splashing. They were, they were. Fresno State, who was six and eleven before that game, beat UNLV, pushed UNLV down to a tie with Wyoming for last place in the Mountain West, setting uh, up a monster game the showdown tomorrow night. Massive game between UNLV and Wyoming to see who will be in last place. But here's the concerning part: Fresno State, 269th in offensive efficiency entering that game. Fresno State scored 1.27 points per possession. That is their highest mark of the season. Their most efficient offensive game was against UNLV. Every single Mountain West opponent has topped one point per possession against UNLV, and UNLV in conference play 
has the ninth most efficient defense. How the hell did we get here after they started 10-0 and with what looked to be an actually good defense? Uh, maybe we go back and see who they played to get to 10-0. I'm serious. Uh, you know, we talked about this when it first came out, when we first saw the list of non-conference opponents. We said we thought it was a really weak schedule. Uh, but then after 10-0 and and how they were playing defense, we said, well, maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe they're just that good defensively, and it doesn't really matter they're not playing great teams. I'm not saying every Mountain West team is a great team. Fresno State obviously isn't. That That's the concerning part. If you're going to allow, you know, Boise, who I think is really good offensively, um, Colorado State shoots the ball really well, not a really good team that shoots the ball well but can score. If you're going to have trouble defensively against those teams, maybe that's uh, maybe that's a not an excuse but a reason. But when you go against Fresno State and this happens, there's something wrong with what's going yeah. on defensively. That that to me is the big point. There is that yes, the non-conference schedule was was pretty weak, and I think there's a big reason as to why they go ten and zero to now twelve and seven is because of how soft it was. But Fresno State's bad. Like yeah, six of the si- half of their non-conference schedule was against teams ranked higher in Ken Palm and Net than Fresno State. So it's like if the non-conference schedule is going to prepare them for any opponent. It was Fresno State. Like, that's the type of team they should have been able to beat, and they couldn't do it, and they couldn't do it because of their defense. And here's – so here's what I think is interesting. We have talked about their defensive scheme a lot. UNLV switches every screen, and we have talked about opponents taking advantage of it, right? It seems basically every Mountain West team right now is attacking UNLV's switches. They either post up UNLV's guards or they get the center on a point guard and the point guard just drives past Victory Waco or Keyshawn Hall or, or David Waka. And I, I think what's the interesting part is Kevin Kruger's getting beat by Mountain West coaches. Kevin Kruger put this scheme in, thought this is what we're going to do in every single game, and there wasn't, I don't know, an understanding, there wasn't an ability to adjust to conference coaches being better prepared for conference coaches knowing how to beat something or or just being better at this than Kevin Kruger because it all worked in the non-conference. There, there wasn't an issue in the non-conference, but once they got into conference play, Mountain West opponents are exposing it, and Kruger has yet to show an adjustment. Yeah, like, and you're, the, he, you're scouted more in conference. Right, and he has yet to show an adjustment. They have switched every single screen and it doesn't matter who's guarding who. It doesn't matter that, you know, five straight opponents have taken advantage of that. They have not changed anything. And that I think is sort of the big concern. I know Kruger after the game, Mike Romala tweeted out a video from his post game press conference where Kruger said, yeah, we're going to have to, we're going to have to change some things. Um, you know, maybe it's a little late for that because you're one and six in conference play and your NCAA tournament hopes, which you once had in mid-December, are completely gone at this point. Like, it just seems like Kevin Kruger has not gotten... I'm not saying he's gotten out-coached in single games. That's happened, but it's that's not the issue. The issue is, like, his just plan and strategy coming into the Mountain West season was, oh, it doesn't matter what other coaches do. We're going to be good enough that it's irrelevant, and his roster is not that good, and he has not shown the ability to change. Can't they see this? And maybe that's what he's talking about. They're going to change, but like you said, uh, one and six now. And and here's the other. Let me ask you this: because games come up so quickly, you know, they played on Saturday. Now they play on Tuesday. Unless you have that bye during the week when you can practice and work on things, how much can you really insert and change? Do they have to be small little tweaks here and there um, to get guys? These guys have been playing this way the entire season. 
Um, I know there's different defenses in the terms of a game and what they do, but to make a drastic change, I would think is going to be difficult given how quickly games come up. You should be able to change a ball screen defense at least a little bit. I mean, the big issue is when the centers are on there. So you, so you can still switch your, your one, two, your one, three, yeah, and four. Exactly. But if Victory Waco's in a ball screen, don't switch. If Keyshawn right. Hall's in a ball screen, put a different defensive scheme out there. I assume they're going to try something different on Tuesday against Wyoming, but maybe they don't. And here's here's what's become maybe a, a different issue for UNLV. The way Kevin Kruger is handling the center position, it's terrible. It reminds me of how Marcus Arroyo handled his quarterbacks in his first year. Because here's what's happened. Mike Ramallah tweeted out before the Fresno State game that UNLV is better with David Mawaka, both offensively and defensively, than they are with Victor Iwako on the floor, right? They're, they're just better. And for some reason, Kevin Kruger has benched David Mawaka, and he has started Victor Iwako. And then, against Fresno State, Keyshawn Hall played more minutes at center than Victor Iwako and David Mawaka combined. combined. Ten more and minutes. And Keyshawn Hall is the worst defensive player on the team. He might be the worst defensive player in the Mountain West. And what happens, we talk about this switching defense, because they switch everything, what two back-to-back opponents have done every time Keyshawn Hall is in the game, Utah State and Fresno State, they just run a ball screen to get Keyshawn Hall guarding their best perimeter player. Who goes right and then by Keyshawn Hall cannot guard him. And Kevin Kruger's done such a terrible job managing the center position, and it's it's pretty obvious. This isn't like some oh you've got a you don't know what we're doing here. Like they've he's mismanaged this. David Milwaukee is their best center, and he's playing behind two other guys right now. I I don't quite understand what Kruger's going for at his center position. If he wants to play Keyshawn Hall 25 minutes, he has to change the defensive scheme. If he's not going to change the defensive scheme, David Mwaka needs to play like 25 to 30 minutes because he is the best of those guys defensively. I, I don't know what Kruger's doing. He has completely botched his center position the last two games. Is he looking for more offense from uh, uh, from the uh, uh, Keyshawn Hall? I mean, I assume so, but Keyshawn Hall's a negative. As as much as he's scored and as efficiently as he's scored, he can't guard anybody. He's a complete neg- They gave up two alley-oops because Keyshawn Hall can't guard anybody. Two different times, Fresno State just had a guy drive past Keyshawn Hall, help defender had to come, and they threw an alley-oop up because Keyshawn Hall cannot stay in front of anybody. That he's a, he's a complete negative on the defensive end that, sure, you might be looking for offense, but it doesn't matter because of how bad he is defensively unless you change your scheme. If they change their scheme, you can try to find ways to hide Keyshawn Hall's defensive efficiencies, but the way they play, Keyshawn Hall's guarding the other team's best player like 75% of the time, and you can't have that. There's no chance you're winning. We just saw it. They played, you know, what, the worst, second-worst team in the conference, and they, they, well, hell, they might be the worst team in the conference, so maybe third-worst team in the conference, and they couldn't do anything about it, and I... It's just been a complete mismanagement by Kevin Kruger with the center position, and I'm curious what he changes, but at this point, you, you kind of lost the season after a really, really good start. All right, coming up next here on ESPN Las Vegas, Ben Goach joins the show. You were on the bench, and he was speaking. He had his arm spread, and then we just saw him leave the locker room early. Can you shed you know, any light or insight into what he was trying to express to you? He's a fiery competitor. He wants the ball, and uh, whatever it was that we couldn't get him the ball tonight, you know, we're going to have to learn from him. It's the Press Box with Granny and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Joining us now from the Review Journal is Ben Goats. Good morning, Ben. Hey, Ben. Morning, gentlemen. How are you? Good. 
good. Um, hold on. Before we get into some hockey, um, does it make you feel worse about the Vikings that the Giants just got beat down by the Eagles? Oh, so much worse. Unbelievably <laughs> worse. We made Daniel Jones look like Peyton Manning out there and that he can't even keep his contacts in for an entire game against the Eagles. This is pretty... Pretty rough look for the uh, Vikings, and I think a lot of people in Minnesota watching that performance uh, all of a sudden understood why they fired their defensive coordinator <laughs> last week. Uh, had to imagine if there were any lingering doubts about the move, they were removed once they saw how the Eagles were able to uh, take care of Daniel Jones and uh, knock him around a bit. Uh, Here, so here's my weekend. question. Here's my question for you from just a fan perspective. Vikings win 13 games, they win the division, but get bounced in the first round of the playoffs by a team that's not actually any good. Uh, was this a successful season for the Vikings? Like, do you look back on this and say, oh, oh yeah, that, that was good, or is it too tainted by the end? It's probably too tainted by the end. I would say it was an entertaining season, but probably not a successful one. If they had won that playoff game against the Giants and then gotten their butts beat by the 49ers, which is what I would have expected, I think I could have called it a success. I think whenever you host a home playoff game and get you know run up and down the field on defense, probably not a success, but it was entertaining in the fact that the, there's probably you know three or four games from this year that I'll remember forever in terms of Buffalo and the crazy Justin Jefferson catch, the biggest comeback in NFL history against the Colts. A lot of memories, but uh, in terms of it being a success, I think you can't quite get over the fact that you lost to Daniel Jones at home in a playoff game. I don't think that one's going to age well. Ben Goats here with us from the Review Journal, covers the Golden Knights. Uh, Okay. Did you think they had turned a small corner beating Washington 6-2 to and then come back last night and see what happened? Yeah, absolutely. I thought, you know, they kind of felt that in the locker room, too. Like, hey, we found our game. We got back to what we were doing at the beginning of the season. I think it felt like, at least in the room, that they rediscovered some confidence. And certainly, I think now we can look back at hindsight and say that the Washington Capitals may have been interested in giving them some confidence because the Capitals sure weren't interested in playing a competitive (laughs) hockey game on Saturday. And then the Knights might have gotten a little bit too kind of puffed up by that, and then they go, of course, to Arizona and a weird arena situation there, and they just get kind of outworked by this Arizona team that is also showing not a whole heck of a lot of interest in winning hockey games, but it was hard to watch that game last night and come away thinking that the Knights, you know, deserved to win or were goalied out of a win by Krell Vemelka. Uh, they really didn't generate enough to give themselves a good chance in that game. And so I think any kind of positive vibes that they were feeling Saturday night on that plane from Las Vegas to Tempe, Arizona, all of a sudden just got washed away by that loss last night. And now there are probably even more questions for this team as they continue on a pretty tough three-game stretch here heading into the All-Star break. So to take into context playing Arizona, because the Golden Knights, they've got a lot of injuries. They've got bottom six guys in the top six. They've got the Henderson Silver Knights making up a big chunk of the bottom six. And I think it's it's fair to, you know, you can point to that and say, oh, we're not going to play as well, especially every single night. But against Arizona, shouldn't that sort of not be as big of a concern uh, that you've got less talent because that Arizona doesn't even like lead in hockey games most of the time, let alone win them? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's obviously no excuse, no matter kind of what the nice injury situation is, for them not uh, being 
more competitive in that game yesterday. Just in terms of, like I said, I think it was a fair result to walk away and say that the Coyotes got the better look in that game and deserved to win. And that just can't happen if you're the Knights and you are still jockeying for playoff position and trying to hold on to first place in the Pacific Division. If Karel Vanilka, you know, really just stood in his head yesterday, I think you can walk away being frustrated uh, if you're the Knights, but not overtly disappointed. But that's not what happened yesterday. The Coyotes generated a lot of good looks in the slot. The Knights didn't. Hey, he got a goal yeah, yesterday. Got revenge game for Phil yes. against his former team. He's yeah. one more from a very significant milestone. He's about to jump into the top 100 goal scorers in NHL history uh, with his next one. So, I'm sure that one felt good for him uh, last night. And, hey, he's at least contributing. And like I said, there's a lot of guys on this team right now that can't really say they're adding to the score sheet. So I don't think Bill Castle is even Bruce Cassidy's primary concern right now. Tyler, I just want to let people behind the scenes, we definitely had another emergency evacuation order go out over the air. So I'm 90% sure people did not hear Ben's answer to your previous question. Was uh, was there an avalanche somewhere really far away from us again? I'm trying to find it right now. Okay, yeah, that was I enjoyed that when we had an avalanche uh, emergency alert. Um, all right, Ben, let me let me ask you this: Did you take anything away from Logan Thompson starting both games of the back to back? Was that Cassidy saying something about Aiden Hill, or was that just Bruce Cassidy making a, a weird decision in the middle of the season? I think it said something about the level of urgency that Cassidy feels right now. I think if he felt comfortable with kind of this team's game and where they're at in the standings and everything, you can roll out Aiden Hill on the second night of a back-to-back against, obviously, a team that you can feel pretty confident in beating or you should feel pretty confident in beating with your backup goaltender in the Arizona Coyotes. So the fact that Cassidy didn't do that, that he went with Thompson again, I do think speaks to the fact that he really wants to pile up points here before the break, especially knowing that the Knights have three really tough games here uh, in New Jersey and then against the New York Rangers and the New York Islanders before they get a break here for a while. You know, I know his kind of official explanation yesterday was, you know, Thompson didn't get a lot of work in that Capitals win. He wasn't tested a whole lot. It was, of course, a short flight to Arizona, so they felt like he was physically capable of doing it, that he would be rested, and they were kind of hoping to get Thompson on a little bit of a roll here and feeling kind of good about his game because he snapped a personal three-game losing streak in that win against the Capitals. But I do think even with all that being wrapped into it, you still don't necessarily push that button and make that move unless you really feel the need to pick up points and get some more distance for yourself in the standings because the Pacific is really bunched up right now. And, of course, that didn't end up working out for the Knights. They didn't think Thompson was necessarily great in parts of that game. Certainly, I think he could have done better on the first goal that the Coyotes scored. But given the Knights' defensive issues, uh, he was definitely not problem A last night. But still, that back-to-back goalie uh, decision did not work out for the Knights. And now they're still going to be chasing points here heading into the break. Who should they be worried about most in the Pacific? Uh, I think there's actually, you know, now quite a few teams. I think Seattle, of course, has kind of proven that they're not necessarily going to go away. Their goaltending is still uh, a major question mark, but I think they're building themselves up. A good enough cushion here that they're going to be around. Edmonton has really started to figure it out. Obviously, they beat the Knights during that past homestand. They got Evander Kane back in their lineup. Uh, Jack Campbell, their big free agent goaltender signing, 
seems to have turned it around after a really, really ugly start uh, to his tenure there. Um, and now I'm still kind of looking at Calgary, too, where Calgary isn't quite as hot as Edmonton, who I think has figured it out more. And Edmonton's probably the correct answer. But Calgary looks like they're starting to figure out a little bit, too, after a pretty shaky start to the season. And even though Calgary is a seven points back of the Knights uh, with a game in hand, they have a pretty easy schedule the second half of the year. So I wouldn't rule out a pretty big surge here by the Flames as well once we get back from the break. All right. He's been Goats from the Review Journal. Ben, I'm glad you could at least enjoy the Viking season despite not labeling it a success at the end of the year. Ben, as always, we appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Ben. Hey, no problem, guys. No stats, all vibes. The 2022 20, <laughs> Minnesota Vikings. I'm here for it. So there is Ben Goats from the <laughs> Review Journal. Uh, yes, I'm curious to hear from all of our random Minnesotans on how they view the Vikings season. Uh, coming up next, though, here on ESPN Las Vegas, we'll get back into the NFL after the Cowboys got eliminated by the 49ers. Brett Maher for the extra point. Left hash. The kick is blocked. Oh, dear. Oh, boy. But I don't know that that's his fault, but still, you don't know. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. That call is better than I could have imagined. <laughs> Just, oh, dear, and oh, boy. <laughs> the worst part for the Cowboys, Ed, is Brett Maher wasn't even the biggest story. No, it wasn't. Excuse me, Dak was. And here's the thing. It misses if it's not blocked. Yes. Oh, that was no chance. It was, was going, going left. In. It was a knuckleball. It was going left. Uh, and you saw it on the slow-mo replay, and it misses. There's no question it misses left. But he did rebound and make yeah. the rest of his kicks he in made that game. A couple field goals. Yep. No problem. Did you, by the way, did you see the pregame? The 49ers trying to mess with Brett Maher while he was doing yes. warm-ups? Yeah. It was that it before was... or after Jarek came on the field and gave him a hug. <laughs> I, it was Debo Samuel, and I can't remember the other player that they identified. We're just sort of like trying to walk around in front of him while he kicked. Yeah. Which, it, here's the thing. If you're Brett Maher, if you're any kicker, and the other team just has guys trying to hang out in front of you while you kick so you can't kick, just kick them with the ball. <laughs> kick it right in their backs. Yeah. yeah like, pull an Urban Meyer. Kick him. Yeah, exactly. Just kick him with the ball. What's he doing in the way? Just kick it. It'll be fine. Um, so... Here's the for, okay. Uh, before I get to the big question on the Cowboys here, I wanted to ask you this: Is Dalton Schultz the least aware player in <laughs> NFL history? Because on the Cowboys' final drive, which listen, they had a long way to go, very unlikely they were going to score, but he went out of bounds while going backwards after making a catch, which keeps the clock rolling. If you go out of bounds going backwards, they do not stop the clock for you. And then he, he's wide open on the sideline. Nobody within 20 yards of him catches the ball and then just doesn't get yeah. his second foot down. So it's an incomplete. Like, Dalton Schultz cost the Cowboys about 12 seconds and then cost them about, about 15, 15 to 20 yards, yards. Yeah. on back-to-back yeah. plays, all, all because he, he, he doesn't know the rules. Why did he drag his foot? I, the, the least aware player in NFL history on that. So here's the big picture question for you. Do the Cowboys need somebody better than Dak at quarterback? They need Romo. <laughs> Romo would tell you they need Romo. Uh, I don't think they do. I, I I don't think they do, Tyler. I think yeah, I think he's a good quarterback. Um, I don't know what tier he's in in terms of you and I like to do the tiers and like the top whatevers, but I don't think they I don't think they do. I think I think he's good enough 
uh, to get them where they want to go. He wasn't yesterday, but I. And what's the answer to it? What's I, I guess like with the Raiders, the you always follow up question is like who's better? What what could right. they do to get someone better? They'd have to probably start over, rebuild. I think the problem for the Cowboys is that Dak Prescott is good, but just not good enough, and it's the same type of conversation. Derek Carr had with Derek Carr and I I think Dak is better than Derek Carr if if we're drafting them straight up I'm going to take Dak before I take Derek Carr but I think that the issue still remains that if you're going to pay your quarterback 30 I think Dak is going to make 40 million dollars next year if you're going to pay your quarterback 30 40 50 million dollars the only way you're winning with that is is if he's Patrick Mahomes if he's Joe Burrow if he if he's one of the top five guys in the league and I and Dak's not there he's good but he's not there. And I think that's the problem the Cowboys find themselves in is that they're paying the premium at the position without getting the highest possible play. Now, the Rams won a Super Bowl with Stafford, right? It is possible to have sort of this, he's in between eight and 14 best quarterbacks and you pay him a lot. It is possible to win, but you've got to nail almost everything else. And and the Cowboys... Really, really good defense, right? The 49ers only scored 19 points yesterday. Really good defense. They have one star receiver. They've got one good running back in Tony Pollard, a pretty good offensive line. Like They've got a good team there. It's just I think that's the issue. And so it becomes if you keep Dak and you pay him that much, you can have a good team. You can have a competitive team, but you're probably not winning the Super Bowl. But the alternative is, well, we go searching for a quarterback. That's the thing. Like, What do they do if they, if they don't have him? Right, you might be bad for a while right. if you do that. So it's it's I think it's the toughest spot to be in in the NFL. I think it's worse to be in this spot than it is like a team that's tanking or bad because those teams, well, yeah, we're just going to draft one until well, we find one. Well, the Texans are just going to get one of the two best right. quarterbacks. But for Dallas and the Raiders were in it for a long time with Carr, obviously with much less success, and teams are in this position quite a bit. The Vikings are probably in it too with Kirk Cousins. You, you can't pay the premium without having one of the top five guys, but the alternative is you you are the Houston Texans. You are trying to find that quarterback. So it's a weird spot to be in where it's like, oh, yeah, that guy's pretty good, but just not good enough. Well, you make a good and, point. There's a lot of teams like that, though. Right, right. It is because there's, there's a, lot a lot of teams, of teams. that have that that have a good quarterback, but they're not Joe Burrow. They're not right. Patrick Mahomes, which is a ridiculous bar, but that's the reality of the NFL is you really need to be one of those guys or you need to be getting paid almost nothing, right? Those are the two best paths. Or you need to be so good around him like Stafford. Right. So Because they were amazing around him. Uh, what do you think of the Cowboys' final play? Uh, I think Mike McCarthy thinks he's Andy Reid. <laughs> that was the weirdest formation. And then you put... <laughs> But Zeke said, Zeke just got blown up. Did you see that? Yes. I mean, yes. he just got torpedoed. And it's like, what I, are you doing out here? I don't know who the 49er was, but he had no interest in stopping that play. His only interest was, I'm putting Zeke on the ground. That was the oh. only thing he cared about. Yeah, Did because the game was over. It's 10 seconds yeah. left. They've got 9 of 11 back to just knock a ball down. So that guy just says, I'm just going to run over Zeke just to do it. Um, I am actually going to defend Mike McCarthy a little bit here because... They're in a position where they're trying to do the hook and lateral to to win the game. I I actually think there was some some smart elements to to doing that because they're effectively trying to get the ball to a receiver who then pitches it back to somebody cutting the opposite direction. And because the linemen are lined up out wide, 
I think the idea is to have them down the field blocking. Like in like they're all they're twenty yards down the field blocking the secondary. I think there was actually some really good elements of that play. It just looked funny because Zeke got blown up, and then as soon as the pass was caught, the receiver was tackled before he got to the ground, so it never took off. But I actually think that was a smart way to do a hook and lateral than opposed to the normal way where it's just, ah, throw it down the field and maybe turn and throw it back to Chandler Jones. But I I think there were some smart elements. It just didn't work out very well. But I I don't think McCarthy should be ridiculed for that final play. I don't know if this is true uh, because I didn't watch in terms of all the wide receivers. It looked like Dak was the one who was going to cut behind. I, I think the he, idea was Dak and Zeke to both be behind eventually. Yeah. And which, whatever, as long as it's not a lineman, sure, well, that's fine. Zeke but had to get up it, off his butt because he was did. absolutely did. I don't over. think he would I not have made it. The plan was for him to get run no, over. No, he would not have made but, it. <laughs> the, other, the other part of that, it's like, it's hard to, for me to criticize McCarthy in that situation because. You got to go 70 yards or whatever it was. In, in 10 in, seconds. Like, who cares if you run a stupid-looking play versus what Dak's going to throw a Hail Mary down to the 20? Ah, congrats. A Hail Mary to the 20 didn't work either. Like, your odds of winning are 0.0001%. Right. So, if you go out looking stupid, you go out looking stupid. I do feel bad for Zeke, though. I will say that. I do feel bad for Ezekiel Elliott because he got blown up.